All right, at 12 after 11 o'clock, it is the final hour of the Talking Point. Uh, we're going to look at our Africa Unlocked segment first. And um, today, of course, we're unpacking that visit by U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken. He's on a five-nation tour of the developing world, as it's called. And um, we've seen him in South Africa. He was in the DRC, and um, he will also then be wrapping up that visit to Rwanda. It's uh, Blinken's second trip to Africa since November 2021, where uh, he visited Nigeria, Kenya, and Senegal. Let me invite onto the show Sophie Mugwena, our international news editor at the SABC, to contribute to this conversation. So, Sophie, good morning to you. Good morning, Kathy, and good morning to the listeners. Hubert Kabasu Babu Katulondi is an African politics analyst and writer. Hubert, good morning. Good morning. Let's uh, firstly start off with um, why Anthony Blinken has decided to undertake this tour in the first place. Sophie? I think uh, the current global challenges that we are facing uh, prompted the United States of America to embark on a charm offensive. The balance of forces are shifting globally. There are new alignments. The cause might have been COVID-19, but the war in Ukraine kind of uh, speed up the process of uh, changes that we are seeing in terms of uh, relations or international relations. You see a situation where members of the BRICS countries, particularly the big ones, that is your China and Russia, having strong influence in developing world. And therefore, America, the superpower, the number one world economy, based on the legacy of Donald Trump, has kind of lost its influence and stature globally. Now, the Biden administration is trying to reset those relations and cement its uh, authority as the superpower, economically, military, and diplomatically. And therefore, the fear that uh, China and Russia have both made huge inroads in Africa or Sub-Sahara. And you know, currently, the Sub-Sahara is almost like your untapped market. Africa, with a population of almost 2 billion people, it is a market that everyone is scrambling to grab. We know that you have these different Africa relations with bilateral countries, your China-Africa summit, your, 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 your TICAT, which is Japan, your France-Africa summit, UK, and all of that, and the US that's coming later this year. And therefore, no country that wants to expand and continue to rebuild its economy can ignore this market. Now, Russia has made inroads, China has made inroads, and the U.S. and its allies are trying to push back. And that is why the Secretary of State was on the continent using Southern region to launch rekindling of the relations between Africa and 
the United States of America. And now he is in East Africa, another strong economy block. And he visited uh, the DRC. And of course, he's currently in Rwanda. And he held talks this morning with President uh, Paul Kagame. And therefore, it is all about a scramble for Africa. <laughs> Interesting choice of words there, uh, says Sophie. The scramble for Africa still continues, I guess. Uh, Hubert, you know, I, I think uh, from the outline that Sophie has given, it, it's kind of clear to try and gauge where the interests of a country like America is. Where the interests of the continent, especially these countries that will form part of this Africa nation tour. Are we clear about what we want going into these engagements? Well, it is clear from the perspective of, uh, for example, NEPAD, African Renaissance, Ubuntu, uh, arsenal of theories and philosophy, Africa wants to reinvent itself. Africa wants to catapult itself to the higher uh, stratum of uh, democracy and development. Therefore, whoever comes to Africa, whatever their ideological or intellectual leaning, Africa is being very realistic and pragmatic to say, uh, who, what are you putting on the table? Because Africa j- doesn't just need a near development. Africa needs accelerated development uh, that can transform our societies and make them capable of being more productive. And so what are the Americans really putting on the table? If you look at the last two decades, uh, America's uh, investment or contribution toward development, concrete infrastructural industrial development uh, uh, in, in Africa, it is not as significant as what the Chinese have, uh, have, have achieved in countries like uh, Ethiopia, uh, uh, Kenya, um, Senegal, and so on and so forth. So uh, I think Africans need to be, and they are, I, I believe, as we saw in the, 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 um, uh, the discourse of uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs, Naledi Pandor, Africans don't want to make choices uh, in terms of ideological leaning. Africans want to see what is being offered uh, as concrete resources, as concrete uh, modalities for its accelerated development. Uh, having said that, uh, on the other hand, we have to understand that um, we need also to sort of uh, deconstruct the discourse, mostly leftist discourse prevailing, for example, in South Africa and other countries in Africa where they say Americans are trying to uh, impose on us a choice between Russia and, and the West. I think we have to transcend that. We have sort of the uh, Americanized the old problematic and grasped the problematic in its essence. Africans, at the same time, they are being realistic and pragmatic, saying, what are you bringing on the table for our development? They have to be also sincere with themselves. We want democracy. Democracy uh, 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 implies accepting and subscribing to the uh, sacrosanct principle of the, the sovereignty of modern states. Uh, democracy also implies uh, good governance. If there is a situation where a country has invaded another sovereign country for no rational, robust reason, and people are being killed, civilians are being killed, infrastructures are being killed, it's not the issue that, that can be framed in terms of taking sides or choosing between the Americans and, and, and the BRICS. It's an issue uh, um, of, of uh, deciding 
whether you are going to, to stand for values of the sovereignty of states and values of democracy or not. And it's been interesting to watch how this conversation has unfolded uh, during Blinken's visit, right? Because um, at some moments, he wasn't quite explicit in necessarily asking why South Africa continues to support Ukraine. But uh, certainly when you listen to the various addresses that he gave uh, around South Africa's role um, as a player in the region, as a player on the continent, and what it believes South Africa's in uh, position when it comes to that conflict, what it believes that kind of influence has on the rest of the con- conf- uh, continent has also been quite telling. So we'll continue the conversation with Hubert and uh, Sophie Mugwena after this quick you're listening to Africa Unlocked, and for our segment today, we're looking at Anthony Blinken's visit. This is the uh, the tour that he has undertaken of the continent. Sophie Mukwena is our international news editor here at the SABC, and Hubert Kabasu Babu Katulundi is an African politics analyst and writer. So I, I want to focus on the the conversation around being on the right side of history, um, Sophie, because that's part of what I think America would have wanted to get out of this visit, especially with South Africa. You know, emphasizing the fact that, look, you, you, you don't want to be on the wrong side of history where this conflict in Ukraine is concerned, that it matters to us as a longtime ally what your position on, on this conflict is. Well, I think the issue here is not about being on the wrong side or right side of the history. Who determines history and what is history? When you look at uh, Blinking, he's a very shrewd diplomat. He grew up in the ranks of the administration and diplomacy. And therefore, much as he was carrying a message to say, please, South Africa, review or revisit your position in terms of the war in Ukraine, he wouldn't have done that in the glare of cameras. When I asked him the question around that, his first response, you will hear that he is actually answering and attacking Russia. But he was very diplomatic, but also saying, you, South Africa, and the rest of those countries on the continent that abstained during the voting at the UN General Assembly, you have to revisit what we have done. Now, South Africa is saying we don't mind voting in favor of a resolution that looks at, because we all agree, no one wants war. But when we make a contribution in terms of the draft of the resolution, the text, the wedding, that will accommodate everybody. You don't want to take our contribution. It's take it or leave it, which is uh, imposing to other people. You don't want to put a phrase that goes further to say things that will ensure that everybody embraces the resolution. Two, the minister tried to explain that looking at trade volume or volume, America is our largest trading partner. Russia is a drop in an ocean. So it's not about because Russia is giving us a lot of money, Russia is, we can't, we are, we are trapped. 
it's about principle to say the South African constitution and the foreign affairs policy is anchored starting way back to Mandela's era when after new dispensation, Ubuntu, which is generally when you, you translate it at international level, peace and security. Therefore, you have to pursue peace, not war. Now, here you find the situation, the Western powers took a decision to, to, to counter war with war. They don't see other options that can bring an end to that war, which is so bad and innocent people dying. And that was the, 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 the issue there. And it is true, no one wants to be on the wrong side, but on many occasions, South Africa has been vindicated in a long run. It doesn't happen now in a long run. Let's go back to Iraq. Beggy told them there are no weapons of mass destruction. We sent scientists there. Please, Bush, speak to Blair. Don't go. What did they do? They went there. Today, they're struggling to, you know, Iraq to become a fully-fledged state and with peace and stability. It happened again during President Jacob Zuma's tenure. In, in Libya, please, guys, give a UAU a chance to deal with Gaddafi. Did uh, Obama listen with the allies, NATO in particular? They didn't. Look what's happening in Libya today. It is a failed state. So I think it's an issue of principle, but also maintenance of peace. Because without peace, there is no way you can have prosperity. And South Africa has been clear that neither China nor Russia will also dictate to South Africa who South Africa's friends are. Mm. That is why trade between U.S. and the EU member countries is flourishing. It's huge because that's how it should be. But please, G7 leaders, be principled. Look now, they are going to this G20 summit. They are decided there was no communique during the meeting of the foreign affairs ministers of the G20 preparing for the G20 heads of state meeting. There hasn't been a communique with the finance ministers who met because the elephant in the room is Ukraine. Hubert, you know, it's it's been interesting to watch, especially when we look at um, the the visit by the Russian foreign minister a couple of weeks back and his choice of countries to go to. And there are some overlaps there. No denying the fact that um, the DRC is very much a country of interest for multiple players globally. Hello, Hubert. Yes, I can hear you. Yes, let's let's explore that that issue, the DRC, and why you have all of these parties interested in what is happening in the DRC. Well, uh, um, uh, the DRC, uh, the former Zaire, right now it's uh, the second largest uh, uh, country in Africa after Algeria. And it is a country that um, has the most strategic minerals from cobalt, copper, uh, cotton, wolframite. And, uh, and uh, 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 I think five years ago, uh, there was a discovery of the largest 
rock lithium uh, deposits in the in the uh, Tanganyika region. So most uh, global powers um, like the U.S., China, the, the Russians are interested in in uh, in the Congo. Uh, though at present, like the Russians, they have no major investment in the Congo. The Chinese are controlling the economy of of, of the Congo. Uh, unfortunately, the Americans have not been able in the recent uh, two decades to articulate uh, foreign policy with regard to the Congo that is uh, adequate and propitious for uh, an accelerated consolidation of democracy and, and, uh, and development. But to come back to the issue of the new sort of world order that is uh, taking shape. Hubert, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you just to pause it there. I'll give you a chance to complete that thought in a moment. It is 11.30. We're going to take you to the latest news headlines and we'll continue the conversation with Hubert and Sophie after this. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. You're listening to The Talking Point. This hour, we're unpacking our Africa Unlocked segment and focusing on that visit by U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Sophie Mukwena is on the line. Hubert Kabasu also contributing to this conversation. Hubert, you wanted to talk about the shifting global alliances and where we're going in as far as the so-called balance of forces is concerned. Well, uh, well, uh, I, I just wanted to also emphasize the fact that with regard to South Africa, because uh, an Africanist intellectuals and Afrocentric uh, sort of uh, intellectuals who view the world from the perspective of South Africa, all concur on the fact that South Africa, as being the hub of uh, the uh, African Renaissance, was expected and is expected actually to steer here to propel actually. Uh, consistency and coherence in the foreign policy that upholds some fundamental values and principles of democracy. For example, as I alluded uh, early on to uh, the, the sacrosanct international principle of the, uh, uh, of the uh, um, uh, sovereignty of modern states, uh, South Africa needs imperatively to be consistent in this regard, and also with regard to democracy and good, good governance. If you look at what happened in Zimbabwe, this uh, despicable uh, um, sort of trend of human, human rights violations and expropriations, which led to poverty and the ruin of the economy. South Africa, uh, at the era of President Mbeki, uh, came up with the, this concept of silent democracy and uh, silent diplomacy, rather, and we know where it led Zimbabwe to and even the region. With regard to um, uh, some countries in, in Africa as well, we, 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 we observe South Africa has kind of lost the momentum, uh, the leadership with regard to getting African uh, countries without dictating the, the will of South Africa on these countries, but leading the momentum with regard to uh, democracy and also uh, uh, sovereign, sovereignty of uh, modern states in Africa. Look what is happening in the Congo where now there's a... A uh, report by the UN expert indicating that Rwanda intervened militarily in the Congo, but South African diplomacy is mum. So the same trend is also uh, observed with regard to Russia. There is a key fundamental principle here of the sovereignty of modern states. If a state invades another state, uh, another sovereign state, without these uh, 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 state that is a victim of invasion having the, uh, sort of displayed a, a key, a dramatic threat to the other state, uh, the country that is supposed to spearhead 
that the philosophy of African transformation uh, emphasizing democracy needs to pronounce itself without any sort of ambiguity or ideological uh, sort of uh, neutrality. So I think it is important for all these uh, debates and narratives to be de-Americanized, remove America from the equation, look at the principle, look at what is happening, uh, look at the values that are being trampled on, that are being, uh, being violated, so that the country that is expected to propel the momentum of Africa's transformation can really uh, maintain its credibility vis-a-vis Africa and vis-a-vis uh, uh, the international uh, community, because most African intellectuals uh, particularly those who are residing in South Africa, who have been living here for years, uh, they, they realize that there's some kind of uh, a parallel between what is happening to South Africa internally in terms of uh, good governance, in terms of uh, combating corruption, in terms of uh, 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 combating poverty, and what is happening to Africa with some kind of uh, uh, deficit with regard to South Africa's capacity to spearhead, to propel and to prom- promote democracy, good government in Africa, but also democracy, uh, respect of international public law in the world. Hubert, is it possible to do that, to de-Americanize, as you put it, the perspective? Because um, that is a huge contributing factor um, for why different countries have actually, and regions have actually responded in the way they have. You know, uh, uh, um, uh, we after independence, you know, from the uh, the, the, the Cold War, uh, many intellectuals and scholars and activists um, have have lost perspective in terms of being still enslaved in these uh, sort of a Cold War uh, sort of a, a segmentation uh, of 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 the, the evolution of African history. So uh, most people tend to think. And even to rationalize, because in reality, in South Africa, was what is taking place right now in the discourse of uh, many scholars and also political activists and politicians with regard to what is occurring in uh, in, uh, in, uh, in in Ukraine is some sort of a, a rationalized ideological rationalization of some kind of legacy, ideological legacy of what happened uh, when our founding fathers fought. Uh, colonization and after independence where this rhetoric of uh, the colonization anti, anti-imperialism was prevailing. Is there any way, as much as we say we have to decolonize deco- our academia, our intellect, is there any way we can also uh, decolonize our uh, ideological perspectives to be able to see events and phenomena that are occurring in the world from a realistic uh, uh, um, uh, non-ideological perspective to say, is there a principle here? Ukraine is a sovereign state. Here is a superpower that just one morning decides it's going to invade it, kill people, destroy infrastructure, uh, 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 even endanger the, the, the global economy uh, because, uh, you know, export infrastructure and agricultural product cannot be uh, distributed globally uh, properly because of the ports that are being o- o- occupied. So is there any way we can see, grasp, dissect this situation uh, out of these ideological lenses and our, our uh, uh, freedom, freedom fighting or revolution eras linked with uh, China or uh, the Soviets or, or, or the Americans? And the same paradigm of what I'm saying right now applies to Africa. 
Are we able to look at what is happening in, in the Congo, what is happening in Nigeria, the first economy that has been grappling with the issue of Boko Haram for two decades? Are we capable of standing up and saying there's an issue of uh, the governance, good governance also, that is causing uh, the continuation of this tragedy of, of Boko Haram? It's all right. about principles and values. You know, Sophie, I'm listening to, to, to what Hubert is saying and, and even this idea of um, being non-ideological in, in the approach to understanding and, and taking a position on, on the Russia-Ukraine war. And I, I think about the statements that we have seen coming out of the SACP, the ANC and other uh, affiliated alliance partners there doesn't seem to be a way that that can actually happen because how it is perceived by all of these actors is that this is part of a manifestation of what is an ideological war. Well, I think uh, when you look at what the SACP recently said about Russia, you will see that it's a propaganda to say it's about ideology and all of that. Because when the former general secretary of the SACP, Dr. Bladen Zimande, related the relationship between uh, the Communist Party and Russia, you can see that the current, current Russia, yes, the previous years, post uh, before 1994, the Soviet Union, there were relationships and very strong. And that is why some of these former uh, activists, some of them even studied in Ukraine. And they, 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 they really are aggrieved that Ukrainians have suffered so much because they know them, they relate with Ukrainians. So the issue here is the approach of superpowers you know, the big G7 countries, when there are challenges, how they deal with those challenges. The issue of NATO, it's all about NATO, the controversy around NATO. And I've just cited an example of what NATO did in Libya. And from there, they went back to their barracks. And today, Libya is a failed state. And therefore, and, and, and the superpowers, with their military business, defense business. Look now how they are pumping the uh, defense machinery and military equipment in Ukraine and guns. When they leave there, when there's ceasefire, what's going to happen? You are going to have a situation where even ordinary people have these heavy war machinery and, 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 and guns. What are they going to do? with that kind of uh, capability later. It is going to be a capability that's going to be used, you know, within or amongst themselves. And that is why the issue of it is not the old order we know. The superpowers must admit that you are not an island. Whatever is being done as global village, People must talk and agree on a better path to resolving conflict or addressing challenges. And therefore, the issue of Russia dictating to this, and because 
I mean, like I pointed out, look at the trade volume between us and Russia. It's very small. It's very, very small. And therefore, if you are not dependent on someone in terms of economy and trade and investment, how can that person dictate to you? We, we, we do business with, with, with Europe, with the EU member countries, or the bloc, not the member countries, the bloc. And, they are, and America, and China. Therefore, I think the issue of uh, the, the tension between America and Russia, it is what's making us focus on ideology. This is the problem between the two superpowers, this nuclear capabilities. Let them resolve their egos in terms of who has got better military capabilities. All right. Allow the world to focus on the task at hand, which is addressing challenges facing ordinary citizens of the globe. And you have to do that through peaceful means, not through military. Sophie Mukwena, international news editor here at the SABC. And you also heard there from Hubert Kabasu Babu Katulonde, who is an African politics analyst and writer. It brings us to the end of our conversation.